hope you're enjoying your day off because it's killing me. Good, there you go. Yes, please make sure, dads, you get coffee and donuts. The ladies did that for you because we love our fathers. We love the men of this church. But I do, I do want to thank Pastor. We have a wonderful pastor, isn't he? He's a good, good pastor. That's who he is. I love him. I love him. That's why I married him. I stay with him because I love him. But he's a wonderful pastor. You know what I like about him? He's not insecure. Because that can, an insecure man can cripple you, especially if he's trying to lead a church. And I've seen insecure pastors before, but he's not afraid. He's not afraid to just let God move where God wants to move. And I'm thankful for that. And we are blessed to have this man of God in our lives. But I'm going to, I'm going to teach, I'm going to speak today. And the Lord did this backwards because I knew the women were in charge of the Father's Day service, but I wasn't really considering speaking. But, you know, normally you've got a minister and then you pray for God to give you a message. Well, the way this happened was the Lord gave me the message and then I had to pray, oh God, really? Do I have to speak on this? And I prayed and I prayed. And the more I prayed and said, God, are you sure? The more he just kept giving me, giving me, giving me. And I was like, are you, are you sure, God? So then I had to research it in the Bible. Oh, yep, it's there. But, um, my title today is, can you get me a, a water, somebody? It's, my title today is Lessons Learned from Two Fathers. And I can, you know, I can only share my experiences. I can't share anybody else's experiences. So we're going to look at David today, and then we're going to talk about my father. And you guys can remain seated because I got a lot of scriptures, thank you, that I need to read. So the Lord first took me to David, and what he was, so I, the, what I see with David, let, let's just, what comes to mind when you think of David? What does the Bible say about him, and what comes instantly to our mind? Uh, he's a man after God's own heart. He feared God. He was a conqueror, and he was a composer. Thank you, Psalms. He was a warrior, and he was a worshiper. He was humble, respectful, reverent, trusting, loving, loyal, faithful, and repentant. And remember that. And then the Lord took me kind of, to me, it was like a, down a dark path because David is my role model I love David so much. I love everything about him. And I think the favorite thing that I loved was his description of being a worshiper. And I, you know, when I die, I want it to stay on my tombstone. She was a worshiper. Now, I don't want to worship out of my clothes because we'd have to close church and send you all to therapy. But I don't care what I look like when I worship. I don't care if you're uncomfortable with my worship, because God delivered me of that. I don't care what you think when I worship God. I'm going to worship God because he deserves it. And only I know what God has done for me, and only I know what God is going to do and the promises he's made me. 
But the Lord took me down this dark path, which I really didn't want to go to, and I had to get scripture to prove it. But the things that are not popularly associated with David or discussed about his characteristics was that he was sinful. He was full of lust for Bathsheba, we found out. He was disobedient. He was an adulterer, and he was a murderer. I ain't that bad, God. Come on now. But sin is sin. Another thing that's not a real popular Bible study is the consequences of David's sin and what a poor father he was. You see, David's sin reaped consequences in his children. And, you know, it, it didn't start out that way. David didn't suddenly fall. No tree suddenly falls and rots and collapses. No marriage suddenly fractures. No life suddenly falls. It's a process. You're in the process. I'm in the process. Every single day. We could fall instantly. I mean, we could, you know, just slip up because it's a process. The enemy is very patient and brilliant if we entertain these things day after day after day. That's the process. You can stop it, but every morning when you get up, it's going to be there, and you have to choose, I'm not going that way. I resisted yesterday. I'll resist today. But the enemy will take years to drop a little here and a little there just to keep you interested. Now, at this point in David's life, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he had 17 wives and concubines. As king, he kept adding to his harem, and ultimately it kept weakening his soul because no one wanted to confront the king that he had ignored what Moses had written in Deuteronomy 17, 17, where it says the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. The decisions you make now and the habits you form now must carefully be managed and reviewed because you're teaching your children and they're going to carry them out in a way you would never dream possible. So from 2 Samuel, from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, it's just a constant rise for David. It's just one victory after another, after another, after another. He doesn't lose the battle. But in 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, you know, you may think, hey, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying. Yeah, but you can still have a bad spirit and you can still have little things that you're entertaining because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So you could, you know, you could still be doing things right and you could, but you still got to check yourself. Because if you think you're okay, that's the first red flag. So back to 2 Samuel, chapter 5 and verse 13. It said, and David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And there were yet sons and daughters to be born to David. So God tolerated polygamy. But anywhere in the Bible we read about it, it's just 
one bad thing after another. And polygamy weakened David, and it ultimately destroyed his family. David's daily choices filled him with lust and caused him to stare at a woman taking a bath at her own house. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, it says, Now, mind you, David was home. Just because you're home doesn't mean you're safe. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. David was a warrior. It was second nature to him. He should have been on the battlefield. That David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Am. They were successful, besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. We're not told why he didn't go into battle. It just says, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. He was home. What's wrong with that? He was at the wrong place at the wrong time, even if it was his own house. Another verse we do not hear a lot about these days is Galatians 6 and 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The New Living Translation says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You can't change that. You can't change that. There's nothing you can do about it. What you put in the ground is what you're going to get out of the ground. No one wants to talk about how poor of a father David was, but he was, and he reaped it in his children. He had many wives, but he still lusted for Bathsheba. And they got together, and she got a little package. She was pregnant. So David knew it was wrong. That's why he killed her husband. So he commits murder to already cover his sin. This is a fast downward spiral. Prior to this, tragedy had already struck in David's family when his oldest son Amnon lusted like his father's been lusting for his half-sister Tamar. And he rapes her. I tell you, the Bible's good reading. It's not boring. So David hears of this, and he does nothing about it. 2 Samuel 13, verse 21. I'll prove it to you. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. Doesn't say anything else. He ought to have punished his son for it and have put him to open shame, both as, because both as a father and as a king, he had power to do this. The Septuagint adds these words about David. But he saddened not the spirit of his son Amnon because he loved him, because he was his firstborn. That's dumb. You see, the love of the father must also involve discipline. But David still remains quiet. Matthew Henry said that Absalom, David's other son, was furious at what Amnon did to his sister. And he resented David because he would not act upon it. 
This led Absalom to take matters into his own hands, and he killed his half-brother, and then he fled to the land of Geshur. So now David has lost two sons and a daughter who has been raped. And because of Absalom's resentment and bitterness for his father, David, Absalom raised an effective rebellion against King David, which ultimately cost Absalom his life. The only one of David's children that we hear about succeeding was Solomon, who also ultimately fell because of women and his choices. For you see, we read, I think the maximum I could find that was actually listed for David was 18 wives and concubines. Solomon watched that. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. You reap what you sow. Your children watch you. Your children watch how you respond to things. Just ask David. And they will always take them a step further for good or for bad. So if you remain seated, but if you will turn to 2 Kings chapter 11, I want to read verse 1 through 6. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. So if you don't like that, just pray for me. You guys have that? Second, I mean, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughters, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. So they were quite fortunate, because sometimes God just tells us no without a reason. But he gave a, a no and a why for the no, and he still ignored it. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely, as his father David had done. The only difference between David and Solomon was that David repented before God. And that's pretty much basically what the Psalms is about, is David understood how repentance and grace and mercy worked. And he accepted it from the Lord, and he, he relished in it, and he was so thankful. And it meant so much. His his walk with God meant so much more to him because he knew what God had forgiven him of. Let's skip down to verse 9, same chapter, back to Solomon. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. But there's so much power in repentance. 
There's that we need to repent every day, every day. There's so much power in repentance. You know, when you repent, you shut the mouth of the the devil. He can't bring your he cannot bring your faults up to you. What's the Bible call him? The this, the accuser of the brethren. When you repent first thing of the morning, that shuts him off immediately. You got nothing on me, devil. I've already repented of it. It's like your siblings. I'm telling mom, she already knows about it. What you got? What you going to do? Nothing. There's power in repentance. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. I'll show you. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he was broken about this. There are Psalms immediately following this situation of David talking to the Lord and saying that he's a sinner and all this. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. It's just instantaneous. As soon as you say, God, forgive me, boom, it's done. It's like magic, seriously. It's instantaneous. God forgives. And Nathan tells him, you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, your child will die. And then I want to go to another uncomfortable scripture in Galatians 6 and 7, which we've already read. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I worry about us today. I worry about the church today because we are in the grace period. We live under grace. We're not under New Testament. But you know what? Galatians is a New Testament verse. And we think, I can do this, and I can say that, and all I have to do is ask God to forgive me, and he'll forgive me. Yes, he will forgive you. Absolutely. He will forgive you. He will forgive. But you're still going to reap what you just sowed. And there's nothing you can do about that. That's the law of God. What decisions are you making? What choices do you make every single day? Because either way, you are influencing your children, whether they're young or whether they're grown. Your children's eyes are on you. Your grandchildren's eyes are on you. They are looking at you. They are watching your actions. They're watching how you respond. They're believing in you, and they're counting on you usually thinking that you can do no wrong, which only imprints your choices on them even more. So what choices did you make this week? What choices have you made this month? Because whether good or bad, you're going to reap what you sowed. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. So my question today, are you teaching spiritual warfare or are you teaching your children to walk in the flesh after their own desires? You see, we pray for our children, and I've done this, but if they're ever really going to know God for themselves, they are going to have to sit on the potter's wheel. The problem is we as parents, we don't like them sitting on the potter's wheel. And that's true. I'm the same way. I'm not telling you nothing that this is affecting me too. Every time our children go through something 
or someone does something to hurt their feelings, or we feel they haven't been treated right, or somebody didn't do them right. Instead of taking them by the hand and say, let's go pray, because number one, we need to forgive that person that's causing this, and we just need to tell the Lord about it and make sure we have a right spirit. No, we don't do that. We'll come right in, and we will rip them right off that potter's wheel, and we become their savior. You know what happens when we do this? We teach them how to hold on to hurts, and we teach them how to be offended. I get it. I get it. I get it. I don't like to see my children go through hurtful situations. I don't like to see them go through trials. And my children have been through trials. Some of you don't even know, which you don't need to know, but they have been through trials. More harder trials than I've been through as a uh, young person growing up. We'd rather face the trial for them because we're their parent, we're their protector, we're their provider. We don't like to see them hurt. We don't like to see them deceived or denied. But the funny thing is we pray for our children, for God to use them and God anoint them. And when God starts to get them ready to work in their lives and sets them on the potter's wheel, we run in and we sabotage what God is doing. And we yank them off that potter's wheel. You as parents, you take your worries, your hurts, your disappointments, and your dreams for your children, and you give them to Jesus and let the Lord know what he needs to be done to keep them saved. Don't manipulate or sabotage God's plan in their life and what he's trying to do. Are we walking after the flesh and teaching them resentment? Are we teaching them how to hold on to grudges? Are we teaching them to ignore God's voice in their lives? Are we teaching them how to be offended over stupid things? It doesn't matter if you have, have a right to be offended or not. If you're offended, it's only going to bring doom and gloom to you, and it'll shut down God in your life. Do they hear you threatening to leave the church because of this or because of that? What are you teaching? Because you're going to reap what you sow. And you can ask God to forgive you, and he will forgive you, but that doesn't take away the consequences of reaping and sowing. You better make sure that you have taken this to God, and you've heard from God before you speak into your children's lives, because you have the power to bless them, and you have the power to curse them. Right before Bailey was married, he went through a trial and I knew what the enemy was doing. I knew it was coming. I didn't understand it. So I go to prayer. I went to prayer and I went to fasting. And I was three days in to fasting. And the Lord told me what the problem was. And he gave me the solution. And he said, you hold your peace. I was like, seriously? I, I know. I, I had a full panoramic view of the whole situation. God gave me a word of wisdom. He gave me a word of knowledge. He gave it all to me. He said, you hold your peace. Don't you say one word until I release you. I'm like, but, but, but come on, God, we're dying down here. It was so bad. My husband said, you better say something. This is getting too far. You better step in and you better. I said, I can't. God won't let me. God won't let me. And then about three or four days after that, it felt like six months 
Because when God tells you to wait, I ain't even going there. It felt like six months. And then I wasn't even home. We were, it was early morning. We were out going somewhere. Left the house. We're still in Charlestown. God says, okay, now it's time. Go back to the house and tell him. I'm like, turn around. Turn around. God just released me. I'm going to go talk to Bailey. But see, God knew what was going on. God knew what the enemy was trying to do. But God had to deal with him to get him ready to receive and understand. And by the time I went down there, he's laying in his bed. I'm like, Bailey, Bailey, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I'm just waking him up, rubbing his back. You know, God just totally orchestrated that situation. And God, I spoke to him with clarity. God spoke through me, and it was fixed instantly. In an instant, it was fixed. Amen? You better know the voice of God before you decide to speak a word to them. We have to watch how we respond to the things of God. How are we treating the man of God? And this has lost some salt in our day and age. But God does not change. And if you ever reap what you sow, it will be how you treat the man of God. Out in the open or behind closed doors. God's very serious about this. And I'm not saying you don't treat the pastor right. That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying it's still important to God. Whether it's important to our day and age or not. Because we've lost all respect. We respect no one. It's do your own thing. Answer to no one. Are we living a life of sacrifice? Do they see you being submitted? Do they see you being obedient? Do they see you going and coming from your prayer closet? Do they see you reading the word of God? Do they hear you pray? What are you teaching them? What future are you handing them? How are you setting yourself up? Because it's going to boomerang back to you. Now, my dad was the very first to volunteer for church things. His life was centered around the church. And I know that he was the founding pastor of this church. But you know what? When he was a nobody sitting on the pew, his life centered around the church. My dad was a worship leader. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was a missions director. He was a youth leader. And whatever he did, he gave it everything he had. And he never did anything halfway. And that's where I get it from. I hate doing things halfway. And he worked building a new church building. Our church had, had grown, and we were building this gorgeous new building. I was two years old, but it was a pretty church. Um, we, we were there years after. But my dad was so devoted and so faithful to the man of God and the house of God that as a toddler at two years old, I knew where to find my dad. This is the earliest memory I, I can remember, and I know the Lord allowed me to remember this. I was two years old. I was still, my crib was still in my mom and dad's bedroom. I don't know why I'm in a crib at two years old. Just get on with it. Just move along. 
Okay, I wasn't in diapers. That's all you need to know. So I woke up, and I'm standing at my crib, and my crib's here, and my parents' bed was right in front of me, and I'm looking, and there ain't nobody in that bed. So I climb out of the crib, and I walk all through my house. There's nobody in my house. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to my dad. I knew where he was. At two years old, I knew I would find my dad at the church. That's how faithful he was. And me crossing the four-lane highway and walking down a sidewalk, that's a whole other story that I will tell later. Stay tuned. Not today. At two years old, can you guys remember? What's your earliest remember? Think of a two-year-old. Two years old. Ethan's going to be three. What other two-year-olds do we have? I knew if I was home alone, I'm going to my dad. He's at the church. I know he's going to be at the church. And you know what? He was at the church. He was at the church working. We never stayed home unless we were contagious. If you're contagious, keep yourself home. But I didn't understand that. I just wanted to go to church. I would sit at the top of the steps. I had a fever. I was sweating. I'd cry to go to church. My dad was heartbroken because he said, you can't go, sis. You can't go. You're sick. But I want to go to Sunday school. And I would like to take a moment here. James, I want to thank you. He has never one time stopped his children from coming to church. And your children has blessed this church. And they are making a difference for the kingdom of God. And you have wonderful children. And I honor you today. But my dad, he never spoke against the man of God. He never complained or went against the direction of the man of God. Never. I'm telling you, never. Not one time. Never. I'm guessing he didn't always agree because we're flesh. But I would be guessing because I never heard it. His faithfulness to God and putting God first put a love for God in me. Because I was taught how to love the Lord. I was taught how to put God's kingdom first. And this is scriptural. It doesn't say, if you have a call of God on your life, seek ye first the kingdom of God. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. He was submitted and he had respect for the man of God. That's why God gave him that man. That man was committed to his pastor. And he was faithful and sold out. And he never went against his pastor. Ever. Ever. To the point where sometimes we would argue about it. Because I'm nine months pregnant. I'm like, a little help over here. But he's being faithful to the man of God. Because you reap what you sow. My parents sat on the second row. And I sat either right in front of them or right beside them. Usually it was in front because nobody wants to sit with their parents. I honestly cannot remember a time when we went to any church service or function and willingly by choice sat on the back row. My dad would march us as close as we could get to that altar. Now listen, I'm not trying to send subliminal messages here. I'm not trying to throw shade at people sitting on the back row. I'm just telling you my experience and how I was raised. That's all I'm doing. 
We took weekend getaways often, and we went out of town quite frequently on the weekends. But our weekend ended Saturday night because we didn't miss church. He was the first to pledge for missionary offerings, and he honored them. If he gave sacrificially, he would work overtime to honor that pledge. He played ball with us. He went to our school functions. He took us to church play practice. He took us to choir practice. He took us to Bible quizzing practice. And it mainly was my dad because my mom worked night shifts. He fixed my hair for church. The whole church knew when my dad fixed my hair. There was not one hair out of place. Not one hair. Ask my mom when you see her next. But he taught me how to love Jesus. He taught me how to be faithful. He taught his children how to put God first. And this resulted in all of his children not just living for God, but his life resulted in all of his children and grandchildren working in the kingdom of God. See, we're all, all of his children and grandchildren, we're answering the call and we're building God's kingdom and we're trying to make an impact in the world around us. But his faithfulness to his ministry in, even resulted in his grandchildren being involved in the ministry because you reap what you sow. Your life makes a difference. Don't think that your day in and day out lives don't matter. They make a difference. Your life makes a difference to your children. How are you impacting them? What are you teaching your children? Because you see, I have seen my parents shook to their very core when their baby was born and within a few seconds was at death's door. I heard how they trusted the man of God when the man of God came in and said, that baby will live. They, took, they, they, took, they could take that man of God's word and live by them because they honored the man of God and God would honor them. I watched them face surgery after surgery. I was there in the prayer meetings at my grandparents' house before they left for every surgery. I was there when Merle Ewing was playing in the background. I'm the one that saw the tears roll down their faces in silence as they packed for another trip to Children's Hospital. They didn't understand, and they were scared. But they just trusted God, and they trusted the man of God, what he said to them. I'm the one that never heard a complaint. I'm the one that never heard doubt spoken. Never. I don't ever remember that. They did not. I just, I don't, they just didn't do it. It wasn't even an option to entertain not trusting God. I only saw them cling to God's word because you see, that's all they had was God's word to them. They understood the power of a promise. They understood when a man of God gave them they, that word. They could take it to the bank. They could stand on it. It would sustain them. That's all they needed. It was enough. I saw them give away a house that never sold to come to Leesburg to build a church. Honest to God, they gave the house away to come here to build this church. 
those of us that want to be used of God and do great things and minister, <laughs> could you do that if God asked you? I don't know. I'm talking to myself too. How committed are you? How important is this thing to you? Because God will test you with what you hold dear. And if you hold it too close, he's going to say, won't you just give it to me? For maybe just a little bit, but just give it to me. Then a few years later when we are in Virginia, after church, my dad would stand looking at me shocked and speechless because I had just put all of my lunch money in that offering. He was, he was heartbroken because you guys just don't understand and I don't have time to get into it. But it was not an easy thing for him to scrape together lunch money to give me. I mean, literally, he scrimped, he scraped everything. I can't remember, it was $10. And I was like, well, I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to be eating lunch, so I'm just going to put it in the offering. I wish I could say I was sowing a spiritual seed and blah, blah, blah. No, it was just second nature to me. I just put it in the offering. I didn't even think about it. I just gave it because I knew I probably wasn't going to eat lunch that week. And before I left that building, I had $20. That's not why I did it. I just did it because it was habit. I saw my parents do it. These are things I was taught. I was taught faithfulness. I was taught how to trust God. I was taught how to love the Lord. I wish I could say I was just some great person that loved the Lord. I, I mean, I do love him so much, but my upbringing had so much to do with where I am now. I don't know what to do if I'm not working for God. I can't wait to come here on Sundays. This is my happy place. I love the people of God. I love being in God's presence. It's just what I, how I was raised and how, it's how I was taught. I was taught how to respect the house of God. I was taught how to serve the Lord. I think the greatest lesson my dad taught me was how to pray for your children and then walk away from God. That's got to be the greatest lesson my dad ever taught me. Because I walked away from God. It was a very short time. And I was told later that he would lay on the floor out in the garage that he was finishing for hours and hours in prayer for me. Day after day, he would travail for my soul. Not only him, but he would recruit people in the church. And he would recruit his minister friends. And he said, pray for my girl. She's not serving God. I need you to pray for her. Help me pray. Help me pray. It wasn't a cover-up sin. It wasn't keep, keep it hush-hush. It's a secret. No, he wanted me saved. He wanted as many people praying for me as he could because prayer makes a difference. He would drive the streets of Percival, just driving around, praying and praying and looking and praying. He never stopped. He never gave up. 
He never once stopped until I was safely back. And that's a whole other story too. But through this, I was taught restoration and forgiveness. Because once, forgi- once you've repented, you're forgiven, and then you're restored. And that's the way it's going to be for these prodigals. When they repent, they're restored. They don't need to go through any hoops or shows for you. God restores. My dad taught me how to find a good man. Because I knew what a good man looked like. I knew what to look for. When I got him, he was a piece of charcoal. But when I started helping the Lord, we buffed out that, and now he's a diamond. And because of my dad's love and example, I was able to look for a man with the same qualities as my father. And it's scary how much he is like my father. But my dad taught me how to love a people that God has put you over to pastor. He taught me how to have a shepherd's heart. But you see, this is my story. And this is how my brothers and I were raised and what we were taught. But more importantly, my question is, what is your story? What examples are you allowing to be set in your home? What are you teaching your children? What do you talk about the most? How do you spend your time? Are you teaching them to not pay tithes and offering? Because whether you tell them or not, they know. I don't know how they know, but they'll know. So basically what you're teaching them, you're teaching them how to rebel against the plan of God. And you're teaching them how to walk with God, but to not trust him. Are you teaching them to complain about the church and to always be frustrated with leadership? If you're convicted today, thank God, come to this altar and repent. If you're offended today, come to this altar and repent. Because we've got to be changed. We have got to have a right relationship with God. Because what you don't understand, what God's doing here, the enemy will throw in distractions. And the enemy wants to throw in bumps in the road and to get our focus off of that. But we've got to be right with God. We've got to make, how is this thing going to end, guys? It's going to end in heaven or it's going to end in hell. This is, there's more to it than just this. What is your focus? What drives you? What is important to you? Because there's coming an end to all this wonderfulness. We've got to prioritize. We've got to time manage. But like I've already said, we have got to walk in repentance for your own salvation and the salvation of your children and the salvation of your grandchildren. Because when you walk in your repentance and you allow God, you say, God, check my heart. 
Make sure there's nothing in here that's going to cause me to lose out with you. I want to be right. I want to have pure motives. I've got to be right with God. Because there's nothing else that matters than my salvation and the salvation of my family. I love you all, and I will do everything I can to get you to heaven. But my children are a, my main concern, my family. What good is it if I win all of you guys and I lose my family? That's what the Bible says. It starts at home. It starts at home. It starts with you. You make a difference. Are there consequences to our actions? Yes. Will we reap what we sow? Yes. But God does not withdraw his love and his mercy from us. If we will look at the life of David, we can see how he was so messed up. But the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. God loved him so very much. God was so close to him. We hear more about David than we hear about anybody else in the Bible. Yes, he was a murderer. Yes, he was an adulterer. Yes, he did sins more than we did. But he knew the power of repenting and he accepted. God's forgiveness and he never let that dictate who he was he said I know I'm not right and I know I've messed up but God I'm reaching to you because I know you can make the difference it doesn't matter how deep our flaws are it doesn't matter how serious we've sinned God will never forsake us God will never withdraw his love from us we've got to accept his forgiveness we've got to accept his mercy and we've got to press on we can't stay there when we mess up and we ask God to forgiveness get up and keep going let it go let it go stop worrying about your past stop worrying about your mistakes God's forgiven you let it go and move on draw closer to God and keep going where he's wanting you to go keep leading be the leader of your home be the example show your friends and show your neighbors Yes, I'm not worthy. Yes, I've made mistakes. But there's a God that loves me. There's a God that died for me. And he will work for me. And he will answer my prayers. It doesn't matter how bad we failed. We've got to get to this altar if we'll just repent before God. If we'll just repent before God. If we'll say, God, I know I've messed up. God, I know I've made bad decisions. I haven't been the best father. I haven't been the best mother. There's nobody perfect. David was probably the closest one, but he was so full of sin. He made so many bad mistakes, but God loved him. God forgave him, and God was faithful to him. Even when he turned his back on God, God still remained faithful to him. And if you don't get anything out of this message today, you have to understand that God forgives. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to receive the forgiveness that he freely offers. He does expect us to embrace the mercy that he gives us every day. And I'm closing if you guys will stand. God's will for us is to not be perfect. But God's will for us is to say, God, I messed up again, Lord. 
I don't want to do, I don't want to keep messing up this way. But God, if you'll help me, Lord, I repent. I know that you can take what I've messed up and you can make it right. Yes, I might have to reap some consequences, but God, I'm going to trust in your mercy. God, I know that you love me that much. God is never so disappointed with us that he just writes us off. God is not like that. Because even years, thousands of years later, he still wrapped himself in flesh and came down and paid the ultimate price because he loved us so much. And what I would like to do today, and this is what I feel, I'm going to have the, the fathers come to the altar. And then pastor's going to take it from here in a couple minutes, and I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to sing a song for altar call. But I'm going to give you dads. I'm going to give you a chance to come to the altar and say, God, I haven't had it all together. I've made so many bad mistakes. I've fallen so many times, but God, I repent. Lord, forgive me. I don't want to be the same as I walked in here today. God, I need your forgiveness flowing through my life. I need your mercy. And God, I repent before you. God, you can make me who you need me to be. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, I repent before you today. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made, Jesus. Have mercy on my children, Lord. God, I claim your blood that you shed for me, Lord. Oh, God, I repent today. I repent today. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, forgive me for sins of omission. God, forgive me for sins of commission, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, of the things I don't even know that's in my heart, God. Forgive me of my attitude, Jesus. Forgive me of my resentment. God, forgive me for not forgiving others. Forgive me about talking against others. God, I repent today, Jesus. I repent today, God. Do a work in my life, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh, God, we call out to you today. That's it. That's it. Just come on. Continue to pray. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Lord, I repent. Lord, I ask you, God, to forgive me, Lord. I ask you, God, to touch me today, Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, for every father in this house, God. I pray, Lord, that you would touch us, lead us, guide us, and direct us, Lord. Lord, we repent, Lord. We repent of our shortcomings, God. We repent of the mistakes that we have made, Lord. But, God, I know, Lord, that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us today, God. Lord, your, Bible, your word says that once we have repented, God, and we are filled with the Holy Ghost, God, we are a new creature. And God, I believe, Lord, that this day, Lord, these men, these dads, these fathers, Lord, we're going to leave this building different. Hallelujah.